So good morning. Uh, I'm a liar, liar, pants on fire. I'm not over in the gathering place with our kids this morning. Um, And before I go too long, I will address the quickly to become elephant in the room. And that is um, my current uh, congestion and nasal status. Um, I have had a cold this week. I have passed a COVID test negatively. It's fine. I am confident that you are safe to be here in this room. Uh, Confident enough that I saw my 86-year-old grandma yesterday and I love her. Uh, I love you guys a lot, but I love her more. So um, it's fine. Um, If I sneeze or cough during this, it's it's just a a small cold because of all the changes. So I wanted to let you know that this morning and it's brought to you by the makers of Mucinex so that I can be here and uh, get through this message. So um, if we haven't met, my name is Nikki. I serve here as the children's director and I get to spend what I think is the best 30 minutes of each service with our kids. I know David does some pretty cool stuff over here too, but uh, in the 30 minutes that we have over there with the kids, I just love seeing God through their eyes. I love seeing the questions that they have about God. I love seeing um, the things that they're thankful for this month. I love seeing the ways um, that they continue to show up here, and that is through your faithfulness in bringing them here. And I have to say that I'm really excited about the future generation with these kids as leaders. And yes, I mean, you're a kid. Um, I know them pretty well. They act like themselves over there. And um, it's not just um, the God that I see working through all of them. It is God's faithfulness to his people that gives me that assurance that we can be excited about the leadership that God is working through the hearts of these kids. It's when we um, show up here in person or online every Sunday, we show our kids that this matters that Jesus is worth the first and the best of our week, even though I know Sunday can often feel like the end of the week. Even as um, those of us that work for the church and we do all the things getting ready for Sunday, um, we can oftentimes show up here with not a full bucket of energy, with not all of the life that we would hope to bring. Yet God continues to multiply the little bit that we have into making it something great. And so I hope to encourage you this morning that if you feel like you're hanging on with a little bit of endurance and a thread of hope, that God can take all of that and multiply it into something way more when we continue in faithfulness to offer God everything that we have. So before we get started this morning, let's bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are a God who sees and that you are a God who multiplies, that you take us as vessels um, broken and cracked and um, unworthy of this calling, Lord, and you say that we are. You call us your children. You say that you have chosen us to spread the light of the gospel into the world around us and to share your good news of Jesus Christ with those around us, Lord. I pray this morning over this message that you have given. And I pray that it's not my words they hear, Lord, but it is your heart that speaks to our ears. Give us ears to hear this morning. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So speaking of taking a little bit and turning it into a lot more, the inspiration for this morning's message where we're continuing in our called series, we're looking at the things that we are called to, our holy calling, not just our career calling or our families, um, is this guy who comes from the Old Testament, a prophet called, named Elijah. 
And Elijah is just one of my absolute favorite people in the Old Testament. He is spectacular. Growing up, when I heard the word prophet, I thought about this old guy who just wasn't capable of much, maybe with a cane, hobbling through, trying to stir the hearts of God's people. But these Old Testament prophets were teachers, and they are warriors of God's kingdom. They were not afraid to have the hard conversations, to make the tough calls. They were actually pretty hardcore. And during the time and before the time of kings, um, these guys and gals served Yahweh. That was their very personal name for God. And they served him with their whole heart and soul and mind and strength. That might sound familiar to you. That is the uh, calling that we have in Deuteronomy 6. And then later, Jesus adds to that in Matthew 22, that we are not just to serve the Lord God with all of our hearts souls, minds, and strengths, but we are to love our neighbor as ourself. It's our greatest commandment. And I can't help but hear commandment when I think about calling. So maybe you see where we're going here. This prophet's job was not only to preach and really lead the people of God into order and God-focused living, um, it was to, uh, to guide them, to surround them, to really be in fellowship and community with them. The ancient Near East during this time was a mess. Uh, we hear stories of the Old Testament, uh, the Israelites conquering these villages. And quite honestly, that's probably one of the best things that could have happened to people at that time was to, um, to have some order and some, some focus established. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone um, kind of made up their own rules. And everyone, just like we see now, there was this balance of power and everybody wanted to be in control of something. So God set aside this group of people the Israelites, but they wanted to be like everyone else around them. So they checked their smart sundials and their stone tablet Facebook, and they found that the world around them was led by kings, not prophets, and they wanted a king too. Now they already had one. We sang to him this morning. He was the king of kings, but that wasn't good enough for them. The prophets, though, never tired in trying to keep the hearts and souls for the people of God. And so Elijah is one of the most full of life for God prophets that we get to meet in Scripture. So we're going to read today first uh, in 1 Kings chapters 18 and 19. If you want to work there in your Bible or your Bible app. Um, but I want to give you a little bit of a backstory so that you can, we can pick up in the middle of this. Check out this video here. This is actually from a group called The Bible Project. And The Bible Project developers have summarized in this illustrated way um, every book of the Bible. You can find it on YouTube. Um, it's kind of like a visual Cliff's Notes. So this will give you the backstory. Check out this clip here. In these center sections for each king, God then raises up prophets to hold them accountable. And the most prominent prophets are the northern ones, Elijah and his disciple Elisha, right here in the center of the book. Elijah was a wild man of a prophet living out in the desert, and his arch nemesis was the northern king Ahab and his Canaanite wife Jezebel. Together, these two had instituted the worship of the Canaanite god Baal, over Israel. And so in a famous story, Elijah challenged 450 prophets of Baal to a contest to see which God was real. So they both build altars and pray to their gods, but only the God of Israel answers with fire. Mic drop by God. They had all just prayed to this God of Baal who they were sacrificing to, they were worshiping, and they were just confident that he was going to, to rain fire down, but only 
the God of Israel, rain down fire. So after that, King Ahab goes to his wife Jezebel. Apparently she missed the show. And Jezebel vows revenge on Elijah. Apparently the I do and I do what she says order was still, or was back, goes back to the ancient Near East. And so Jezebel sends out a legion of armies after uh, Elijah. And dear Elijah, who had just called on God to rain fire down from the sky, then runs for his life. He hides in a cave, and this is where we land this morning. Um, even though he had just seen God work an incredible miracle before his eyes, he runs for his life because our human nature is very fickle. So this is where we land. I'm actually going to be reading this morning from Eugene Peterson's version, The Message, because I like the way that it summarizes and, and provides a little bit of clarity to this scene. So look with me in 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 9, or 8 and 9. The words are going to be on the screen too, so you can follow along. Elijah got up, ate, drank his fill, and set out. Nourished by that meal, he walked 40 days and nights all the way to the mountain of God, to Horeb. When he got there, he crawled into a cave and went to sleep. Then the word of God came to him. So, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah responds in verse 10, I've been working my heart out for the God of angel armies. Your version probably says the Lord of hosts or the Lord God almighty. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed the places of worship and murdered your prophets. Now I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me. Then he was told, go and stand on the mountain at attention before God. God will pass by. A hurricane wind ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God, but God wasn't to be found in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire, but God wasn't in the fire. After the fire, a gentle and quiet whisper. When Elijah heard the quiet voice, he muffled his face with his great cloak, went to the mountain, mouth of the cave, and stood there. A quiet voice asked, So Elijah, now tell me, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? That's the question that we're all asking. What is our calling? And God responds with, Do you not remember who I am? I am the one who has called you. I am the one who does mighty acts before you. Do you not remember who called you? David spoke a couple weeks ago about our calling, not being our career calling, but really our holy calling. Elijah had no idea where God was going to call him next. And God wasn't asking him that. God wasn't even asking him because he didn't know why he was in that cave. God was asking him this to remind him of who he served. That is our calling, to serve the one who has called us, to love the ones that God has created around us, to remain fervent and turn away from being fickle. And we don't have to feel bad that we're fickle. In fact, it's a very fun word to say. So mumble to your mask to the person beside you, you're fickle and God loves you. In fact, listen to these words from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. It says, the heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful. It's a puzzle that no one can figure out. But I, God, search the heart. 
and examine the mind, I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. Friends, God knows our hearts. He knows our well intentions, and he knows our fickle nature. We can't hide that from him. So it's right before this in the cave, Elijah, or before the cave, Elijah was just so dedicated to God that he slaughtered with his own sword hundreds of prophets for Baal, the false god. And then he got scared and retreated to a cave. I think you've probably been there because I have too. Maybe not literally, hopefully. Um, But you've heard um, a wonderful message on Sunday morning. You've received a huge blessing from God. Maybe you've even seen a miracle right before your eyes. And you left committed to God, rededicating your life, fervent to serve God with your whole heart, mind, and strength. And then Monday comes. And we find ourselves retreating to our cave of old habits and conformity to the world. It's very easy to get distracted. So what are we doing here, this life? Can you answer that today? Can you answer what your calling is today? Most of us can, but our human nature is very fickle. Fickle is not a word that I use regularly. Um, Just so you know, my vocabulary is not that strong. Um, so I had to look it up. I kept hearing this word over and over again as I was praying about this message. And I looked at the definition. It says that we, uh, fickle is changing frequently in regards to our affections and our loyalties and our interests. And looking specifically at our affections, Elijah had just done this. See, it's something that I'm confident we can say, at least from my own nature, that we do every day. Elijah was being double-minded. Back in chapter 18 of Kings, he had just called upon the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if it's Baal, follow him. And before that, the people could not answer him a word. He really wanted to serve God with all of his heart, but he ran scared when the world came after him. And we have those days. We have those days where it feels like the world is coming after us. It feels like the weight uh, is on us, and it's just easier to shift our focus from wholehearted devotion to God, from being chosen as God, to be holy and servants of the Redeemer who ransomed us uh, on the cross for our lives. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says this, You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. But it's actually more than just our bodies. The original Greek text would have actually read, you were bought at a price. Honor God, therefore, in the body of you and in the spirit of you. And that's not to be taken lightly. That is what took Jesus to the cross. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And it's by his wounds that we are healed. It's by his wounds that we are able to be called the children of God, and it is by his wounds that we are grafted in eternal life into incomprehensible eternal glory. There's no way that we could attain that on our own. Romans 3 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we who accept that life and that mercy from God are not required to do one more thing. It is through our thankfulness and our willingness to accept 
this holy calling on our lives that we offer ourselves to God, accepting the calling to be holy. And holy does not mean to be perfect. Holy does not mean to be pretentious. Holy does not mean to be out of touch. It simply means to be set apart, to be called out, the ecclesia, the church. We are called out. We are not to succumb to the seduction of the world around us. We are um, thinking back to those Israelites. They had been given God's designed order for their entire life and a leader who labored his whole life to keep them focused and all they wanted, all they wanted was to be like everyone else around them and to have a king. What is your king? What is that thing that you just want because it makes life easier, sexier, more fun? But what are we really here for? We lose sight of that because humans are fickle creatures, especially in regards to our interests. Let's go back a minute to that double-minded idea. The Bible actually speaks to this a lot in the book of James. Jesus' brother there writes and warns us that being double-minded is being unstable in all of our ways, that it tosses us about like waves in the sea. The Greek word for double-minded is actually dipsychos. It is literally where we get the word psycho from. And later in his letter, James says that friendship with the world means enmity or hostility against God. So how do we test our hearts? How do we know that we are in fellowship with God? We look at our fruit. You know this fruit. Your grandma had this embroidered somewhere, most likely near her kitchen. Galatians chapter 5 tells us that the fruit, the good things that produce a life worthy of our holy calling is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But we often replace this fruit for nice homes, cars, vacations, clothes, education, friends, health. Those things make life a lot sweeter, kind of like fruit. And I'll be real, I appreciate some earth fruit too. But those things are not evidence that we are living life worthy of our holy calling. It's these things, love, loving God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your noisy and obnoxious or shy and withdrawn neighbor as yourself. It's joy, the uncircumstantial confidence in the goodness of God. It's peace, unwavering calm, because God is on the throne and he controls the hearts and minds of all men. It's patience, the ability to live in tension without being tense. It's kindness, generally being a nice human. Goodness, living a life that honors God. Faithfulness, choosing God first every single day and repenting when we don't. Gentleness, working to see others' perspectives and considering others better than ourselves. And this is my personal durian fruit. Smells terrible, tastes delicious. Self-control. Surrendering the tough stuff to God rather than grasping for control. And that's how we know that we're being fruitful. 
That's how we know we're being faithful to the one who has called us. We spoke about this a lot in a sermon series just a few months back about choosing God, choosing to walk in fellowship with God, choosing to walk in the sufferings of Christ, to hurt when he hurts, to see the world with the eyes of Jesus around us. That's how we know that we are walking in fellowship with God. If you find yourself unable to be completely satisfied in this world, if you find yourself with a longing of something that this world just cannot satisfy, that is how we know that we are living a life worthy of our holy calling. But we humans are fickle creatures, especially in regards to our loyalties. Brothers and sisters, eternity has been set on our hearts. But we're distracted by what's around us daily. We're distracted by the ways that we choose to spend our time. Distracted by things that are easier than discipline and faithfulness. But Jesus will return and he will claim the faithful. And we will all be asked to give an account for the ways that we spend our lives and our resources. The ways that we respond to that holy calling. Revelation chapter 3 has a series of seven letters to churches that um, Jesus writes towards the end times. And one of those churches is Laodicea. And there God says that he wishes they were either hot or cold, but that lukewarm is not okay. Starting in verse 15, I'm going to stick actually in the message version here. So this is summarized a little bit if you're following along. Uh, It says this. I know you inside and out, and I find little to my liking. You're not cold, you're not hot. Far be it to be either hot or cold. You're stale, you're stagnant, you make me want to vomit. You brag, I'm rich, I've got it made, I need nothing from anyone. You're oblivious that in fact you're a pitiful, blind beggar, threadbare, and homeless. Here's what I want you to do. Buy your gold from me, gold that's been through the refiner's fire, then you'll be rich. Buy your clothes from me, clothes designed in heaven, you've gone around half naked long enough. And buy medicine for your eyes from me so that you can really see. The people that I love, I call to account, prod, correct, and guide, so they will live a life at their best. So up, on your feet then, about face. And run after God. It's not the most fun letter to read. Um, and I want to give a little bit of a backstory because it's, it's a little harsh. Um, historians actually tell us that in the city of Laodicea, which is now Turkey, um, they actually received hot water from about five miles away. The water came through pipes similar to these or wooden ones. And it would start out hot, but it would follow through and it would pick up all of the calcium or deposits along the way and by the time it got to the people it would be filled with the murk of the pipes that they had flowed through and it would be lukewarm literally making visitors vomit by drinking the water unlike our heating systems the water wasn't heated localized it started out hot just like our lives when we make a commitment to christ it starts out hot but it takes that daily dedication and discipline to remain that way it's our fickle nature unintentional shift towards the way the world leads us that cools us it takes discipline like not trying to see God and all of the fire and earthquake and wind around us 
but taking time to be disciplined, to hear that still, small voice, and be ever reminded and attuned to the calling and what we're here for. We are here to make much the name of Jesus Christ. We're here to bear fruit. We are here to be kind to our neighbor who's being ridiculous about COVID, whatever that means to you. Outside of that, we think way too much about this. God cares a lot less about what we do and a lot more about who we are. Don't let our inherent fickle nature keep us from being called faithful. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, a whole list of people who, if you read their stories, were fickle <laughs> and kind of crazy. Um, but he calls them faithful because they didn't let that win. They kept their faithfulness towards God. And I know it's really easy for us, um, especially those of us who are in vocational ministry, to say that our mission in life is to follow Jesus and lead others to Jesus so that we can change the world. Um, but once upon a time, I um, wasn't in ministry. This wasn't um, my calling from an early life. I actually was a career woman. I wanted nothing more than to go to work and rise the um, chain of um, the ladder of organizational success. And I was on a sales team uh, with a lady who modeled that very well. She was single and um, it was basically her day was get up, go to the gym, go to work, work it out, um, and then go home and rinse and repeat day after day. And uh, it was in my mid-20s that I was working for, with her, and she and I had a great relationship. Um, she wasn't just a boss. She was a friend. We were very honest and had just, um, just a really candid, authentic relationship. And um, it was during that time that God actually called me back to him. I was um, baptized when I was early. Uh, I was about nine years old, and then life swept me away. And uh, in my mid-20s, God was trying to get me back to him um, for the good works that he had prepared before my birth. And um, I was working with this gal. And through it all, she got to see me um, in what fickle would be a really nice way to describe my life at that point. I really wanted to listen to this call from God. I really wanted to rededicate my life to him. But I also was in my mid-20s, and I really wanted to enjoy that time in a way that was fun and easier. And so um, through the years that I worked with her, um, I shared, she got to see um, me go through the process of calling off a wedding three weeks before it was going to happen. Uh, she got to see me go on a mission trip for a month in Ghana. She got to see the Lord really work and stir in my life and change my heart. And so when it came time for me to leave that company and move on, I uh, gave my notice. And on the last day that I was there, she called me in and did something that I imagine if you're a boss, you don't do on the last day with a lot of people. And she gave me a gift. And uh, it's in this little box. It's a pin that says, have faith. And she and I, I had talked a lot about my faith with her, but she had never responded in a way that I thought that she had any um, stirrings of faith. And it was through that conversation that she thanked me for um, just being real, being a real Christian, not being perfect, um, but having something that stirred in her too. And she um, wrote a sweet little note that went with it. So I left there thinking, that, oh, okay, wow, this is amazing. God can work through even that. Uh, and a year later, I got a message from her on LinkedIn, and she shared with me that the Bible that I had given her, uh, she'd gotten married the last year that we worked together, 
and the Bible that I had given her inscripted with her and her new husband's name, uh, that there had not been one day since I had given her that Bible that she did not open it. And that since that time, she and her now husband had been baptized, had dedicated their lives to Christ, and they were active in their local church. And um, friends, I do an amazing work here. I love your kids. Um, but that's one of the most impactful things that could ever happen in my life. And that is what we are called to do. We are called to live a life worthy of our holy calling, despite our fickle nature. Um, we are called to share and be honest and be real with the people around us and be willing to step outside of those awkward conversations and talk about what it is that we really believe. And I know that this year has been a lot and we might feel like we've been through a fierce wind or an earthquake or a fire down in Houston, two hurricanes in one week. And maybe you feel like you could use a word from God to remind you of what it is that you're called to do. Amidst the global pandemic, the civil unrest, the tension, and quite honestly, the ugliest presidential election of our lives, have you taken the time to listen to that quiet whisper from God? He wants you to know him. This Justin Peters quote says, if you wanna hear from God, read your Bible. If you wanna hear God out loud, read your Bible out loud. Every Everything that we need is available in this guide to us. He wants to guide your life. He has called you. He is jealous for you. You are valuable to him. So valuable that you're worth the price of his own son. He wants to guide your life. Please let him. Don't let your fickle keep you from being faithful. Let's pray. Lord God, the God of angel armies who does miraculous works before our eyes through even our fickle nature, we praise you this morning. God, I thank you for this opportunity to learn again, to be reminded again, to turn my heart to towards the things that you have called us to do. Lord, I pray as we go about this week, God, that we would... Um, not be afraid of those awkward conversations, Lord, that we would be brave and bold by the power of the Holy Spirit to have conversations with those around us, that we would be honest about our workings to follow you, that we may lead others to you, Lord, and that we may truly change the world. In Jesus' name, amen.